Welcome to Green Shoots, hosted by the Arbor Group at UBS. My name is Mike Franz. And I'm Jack O'Connor. Green Shoots is a podcast that focuses on the UN Sustainable Development Goals and the people and organizations that are aligned with these objectives. Today, our extra special guest is Rosetta Lee with the Seattle Girls School. Rosetta is one of the original faculty members of SGS, which is an all-girls middle school located in Seattle, Washington. She's also a professional outreach specialist in which she designs and delivers trainings for all constituents of the school community, as well as the local and national educational nonprofit sectors. Rosetta has worked with over 75 K-12 public and independent schools throughout the country, as well as several colleges and universities. As always on the Green Shoots podcast, we're focused on how our guests are working towards achieving the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals, of which SGS is focused on goal number four, quality education, and number five, gender equality. Well, Mike, as you may recall, I went to an all-boys school in Michigan, and it was a great experience, but that was almost 20 years ago. A lot has changed in our world and society since then, so I'm really curious to hear how SGS is helping their students navigate diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the pandemic, just to name a few. Jack, we're starting to sound like a couple of OGs here. (laughs) And you're right, never a dull moment in education these days. So without further ado, Rosetta Lee. Rosetta Lee, welcome to Green Shoots. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I just kind of want to jump right in. Uh, as we mentioned in our introduction, uh, Seattle Girls School focuses on the education of middle school students who identify as female. What about this particular age cohort provides a compelling reason to have classrooms without boys? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Uh, one of the things that uh, you notice about uh, girls and patterns around their sense of confidence and confidence and things like things like that, there's a steep drop off that happens right around middle school. So for example, middle school age girls, there's a 30% drop in confidence. And we're trying to recognize just not only the education and empowerment of young women in general, but really catching them at a time when they're really vulnerable. And I think a lot of the pressures around looking good, looking a certain way, or having the attention or the Uh, elevated sort of stature among boys actually becomes a real detractor for them be really coming into themselves, showing who they are, demonstrating that sense of confidence and speaking up. Uh, And so what we want to do is create an environment where you get to actually spend this time discovering who, who you are, finding your voice and using that voice for yourself and others. And so for us, middle school becomes a really powerful time. And in fact, I think many of our parents understand it as well, because we have, uh, we draw from about 50% public schools and 50% private schools, and they exit about 50-50. So there are many public school parents who actually decide to spend send their girls here during those middle years, recognizing that it's a really critical time. I can definitely relate. And when I was in middle school, I was totally distracted by members of the opposite sex and probably spent many hours um, paying attention to them rather than my schoolwork. Are gender-specific schools the wave of the future? Are they making a comeback, Rosetta? Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I wouldn't say there are, there are many new gender-specific schools that are opening up, but I think they're becoming more and more focused in terms of recognizing it's not just about having a particular population. It's actually creating educational environments for that population. And so I think girls' schools and, you know, there have been 
thousands of girls' schools, public, private, charter, all over the country. And uh, to tell you the truth, they actually fell into lots of different categories. I think there are schools like Seattle Girls School, which are really about let's examine the way girls and society's pressures toward girls oftentimes get in their way. And how do we empower them? How do we, you know, it's like a very feminist approach, right? But there are actually girls schools that were very much finishing schools. How do we actually train you to be proper young ladies to enter proper young lives, um, living these like roles that you're supposed to. And so I think more and more schools are recognizing the empowerment power and potential that girls schools hold. And so I think there's a little bit more focus on how we can actually leverage these spaces. I would say in schools in general, though, I think there is an increased awareness of how paying attention to identity matters. So more and more schools are doing things like girl-specific classes or girl-specific programs, especially in things like STEM. And, you know, I think when you see like the elevation of places like historically black colleges and universities, folks are recognizing the power that comes with having folks who share identity and affinity coming together and being able to share the struggles of living in a society that doesn't always see them as fully capable and coming into their own. So I would say that definitely is a trend in education. And the uh, curriculum at SGS has an emphasis on STEM education. Uh, from what you know, do most graduates uh, go on to pursue higher education in science or technology fields? I wouldn't say most of uh, our students pursue careers in STEM, but certainly there's a higher percentage than the general population when you take a look at girls who attend co-ed programs. That's a, actually a trend in girls' schools in general, and I would say particularly for Seattle Girls' School. But one of the things that we always talk to the kids about is this, is it's actually about not losing that sense of confidence before competence can develop. Because what often happens is that this is where they often start showing lower interest or sense of I can enter these fields or I can be successful in these fields. So for us, it's just making sure that they don't close off those doors before um, they even have a chance to explore. And so I think that's where the higher percentages come from. It's not necessarily that we instill like, you know, uh, something in them. It's that we keep those doors wide open so that it becomes one of many choices that they can make. And I'm really proud of our students for pursuing all kinds of fields and the girls that, uh, you know, pursue STEM fields and do so with passion and conviction and recognition that they may face challenges, but they can overcome them. I think that's, that's the sort of difference maker. And I know the, uh, the school has a mentee program, right? Absolutely. Has that been successful and and what kind of feedback have you received from, from the students Mm -hmm. for that program? Absolutely. So one of the things that we uh, try to recognize is this middle school is a time when young people actually are seeking autonomy. And so they're seeking more independence. They're trying to call their own shots. And part of that process is actually rejecting parents and teachers, which is a very natural stage, much to the chagrin of many of our parents and guardians. Um, But this is where a mentor can be a really powerful figure, because this is not somebody who is uh, supposed to be your teacher or supposed to be your parent. This is an adult out in the community, living their own lives, wanting to invest in you, expressing curiosity in you and wants to know what you think and how you feel. And so, you know, the, the mentor relationships can be really powerful in terms of having kids sort of see a role model that 
they can be honest with or they can like emulate themselves toward or see themselves in. And so, you know, I love hearing stories of mentors that have ongoing relationships. I, I think about many of our alums who actually invite their mentors to their high school and sometimes even college graduation celebrations. And to see those relationships thrive is just been phenomenal. And of course, um, what's beautiful is when those mentors like find those uh, individual relationships that blossom into a deeper connection with um, middle school girl education in general. So we have former mentors who are now board members. Uh, we have former mentors who actually, they had daughters and now they're sending their kids to Seattle Girls School. So it's been this um, community building. We, you know, we, we often say it takes a village to raise kids and they're a very important part of our village. I can already see my four-year-old daughter pays more attention to and listens better to people that are not either her father or her, or her mother. So I can only imagine that that uh, probably that uh, that resistance grows exponentially by the time they get to middle school. <laughs> Diversity, equity, and inclusion is a hot topic mm-hmm. in schools these days. How does SGS incorporate DEI into its admissions and curriculum? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that uh, we try to do is in our admissions, we try to think about many factors, right? And so we think about the fact that girl is actually a very complicated term these days because there are more and more young people who actually the gender that or the sex that they were assigned at birth may or may not match how they identify. And so we try to um, really uh, make our language more inclusive to make sure that we're talking about young people who identify as girls, regardless of her biological sex. And we're also recognizing the fact that in the school that says you get to come into your own and discover who you are, some of our students actually identify as non-binary or transgender during their time here. And so we are trying to make sure that we're explicit about we're supporting the young person. And this is not a um, girl's school in that uh, it, it is a narrow uh, sort of you know, 20th century uh, definition of what girl means. Uh, The other thing I think about is actually the intense work that we do around financial aid and access, because um, our dream was actually to be a public school. um, But when that dream uh, couldn't manifest, we actually opened our doors with a deep commitment to financial aid. And I would say in our early years, that founding class, actually 50% of our students were on need-based financial aid and at a significant portion of the, of the tuition, which is actually unheard of in um, a private school world. And I would say even now we're still on the very leading edge of making sure that there's financial assistance available so that it does not become a sort of narrow socioeconomic bandwidth that has access to this education. Now, in the curriculum, what we try to do is really try to provide as many opportunities as possible for, again, exploration of identity and difference and the way fairness and unfairness manifests in the world and what young people can do about it. So just this term, I'm thinking about things like we have the Pay It Forward project, which is pick a topic, a issue that is uh, in the out in the world that you think is a problem, find out what some of those root causes are, find out what people and organizations are doing to create change and how can you contribute, especially in those realms where um, there is not enough being done. And so because it's a very individualized project, the kids pick 
topics that they are passionate about. And again, uh, we're actually trying to connect them to the community and also change makers that are in our backyard as well as working nationally and globally. And uh, also thinking about uh, things like how in the sixth grade we have a, uh, you know, more than the sum of my parts. And so they're writing autobiographical poetry as part of their humanities curriculum. They're also doing things like studying the human body to think about myself in like sort of like that biological machine sort of way. They're also doing self-portraits. And there are many aspects of the way like identity and culture and experience become embedded into projects like that. I also think about our co-curricular opportunities where we have a strong affinity group program, where it's a gathering of people who share identity or experience together, uh, coming together to understand themselves a little bit better, celebrate who they are, and also like resist some of those um, societal messages. So for example, for a number of years, I was the um, Asian Pacific Islander uh, affinity group facilitator. And so we got to get together to recognize and celebrate the diversity that yeah. is within the Asian Pacific Island, like diaspora, right? Um, we also talked about some of those challenging moments that sometimes we experience where maybe um, that lunchbox moments where we bring ethnic foods to school and folks uh, consider it weird or smelly. Um, and how, what are some like productive ways that we can like recognize like Actually, we we should be proud of our culture and our culture is beautiful and our foods are delicious. And just because somebody else doesn't get that doesn't mean you need to feel ashamed or hide who you are. So doing that kind of intentional work in and out of the classroom, um, we try to incorporate uh, the idea of like, understanding and developing a pride and sense of self and then uh, understanding and developing empathy and welcoming and inclusion toward others. And this is the equity part is recognizing when there are systems that are set up to create disproportionate outcomes. And what can you do to balance the scales a little bit more, especially removing barriers for communities that experience uh, undue sort of burden? Yeah. And I was going to mention, too, that um, I live uh, about a half a mile away from the current campus and mm -hmm. maybe three blocks away from the new campus uh, in Seattle in the central district, right, is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, historically probably the most uh, racially and mm -hmm. ethnically diverse neighborhood in Seattle. Do you think that also potentially contributes or has any effect on the school? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I would say it's like a chicken and the egg kind of thing as well, right? Uh, because ultimately, I think when the founding board and early um, contributors were looking for a campus, one of the things that they talked about was actually being physically accessible to as many kids as possible all throughout Seattle, and especially for the communities that may have a harder time actually getting to campus. Because what you'll also often find is that there, um, it's getting a little better, but I would say in the Seattle landscape, there are many wonderful private schools that are actually in like suburbs with not too much infrastructure yeah. and public transportation and things like that. You know, so the central district being a historically black neighborhood. And I think that just made us a neighborhood school for a lot of the kids. The, his, the sort of independent mm -hmm. school or private school model is often they end up taking like long bus rides to get to the school. And so the oftentimes the families that are experiencing the most sort of financial and people resource kind of difficulties end up having to work harder to get to school. And I think that's not fair. 
Yeah. And the longer you have to take to get to school in the morning, the earlier you have to wake up. There's mm-hmm. obviously, I think, studies that show that that actually has a pretty negative impact on uh, children's ability to learn and um, progress. So. Yeah, I want to switch gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, obviously, over the last two years, mm-hmm. uh, two and a half now, uh, there's been a major disruption to in-school learning. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how uh, SGS pivoted or adapted in the wake of COVID-19 mm-hmm. to continue educating middle school girls? Absolutely. So, um, you know, I think uh, there's sort of basic academics, right? And so actually, our administration was really forward thinking in recognizing that school shutdowns were inevitable. And so we actually spent two weeks actually preparing to teach virtually before the shutdowns were even ordered. So by the time like school wasn't happening, we barely paused before we started to have online classes and the teachers and administration really were flexible and trying to figure out, we tried out a schedule for a week and my gosh, that's way too much screen time and we're demanding too much of our students. Mm-hmm. Uh, we you know, played around with the schedule, the kinds of content delivery, what is asynchronous and things we're asking kids to do on their own and what is like in-person time where they do have to be on screen and on camera. So that's like the the schooling portion. And I think that, you know, we pivoted in many ways that way. I would say that what we tried to do was also be mindful of the fact that, again, middle school is a highly social time. And especially for middle school girls, relationships matter. One of the things that we tried to do is make sure that uh, we also created um, spaces, whether it was the morning hangout and we're going to, you know, uh, do uh, breathing and, and uh, morning exercises together for those of you who want to like wake up in community together. Uh, we can, we ha- would have like lunch hangout Zooms. Uh, so if you're not too sick of the screen and you're really feeling like you need some people connection, here's like spaces for you. We also try to make sure that because um, we're so good about throughout the day, actually, like noticing the uh, sort of mental, physical and emotional temperature of a kid, like we just really know our students well and knowing that they were home. And so we weren't able to catch those like 90 percent of teaching, I think, is actually not in the classroom spaces. And so we actually try to really intentionally build in check in times and advisors work really hard to have one-on-ones with their advisees. So, you know, I would say, was it really hard? Did we not do it perfectly all the time? Absolutely. But um, I'm really proud of what Seattle Girls School did. And I think the family saw it too. I don't think anybody figured out the the <laughs> playbook true. very well at all. And, and it'll be really interesting to see. I'm, sure, I'm sure there'll be lots of research and studies and mm-hmm. white papers written about educating mm-hmm. children during a lockdown phase. But curious, uh, we talked, uh, you mentioned it briefly, but just the impact that the pandemic has had on on the development mm-hmm. of school-aged children. What have been your and the school's observations? Mm-hmm. My school definitely noticed this. And because my role actually takes me into schools throughout the country, it's actually something many folks are noticing wow. is that the the kids are actually, I would say, uh, about two years behind in terms of like knowing some of the basics of like coming to school, being on time, paying attention, asking to go to the bathroom, working together with like teammates. And, you know, anything that is not practiced for more than two weeks, actually that skill actually starts to atrophy. 
And so to a certain degree, we thought it was like a pause button, but it's really like in many ways, a regress button that was hit. Within our school, one of the things that I've been noticing and the teachers have been noticing is this idea of, okay, so cognitively and sort of like their ability to function well in schools and in collaborative groups and things like that are about two years behind and their bodies are still that of middle schoolers. So they are still like pushing back on authority. They're still wanting that autonomy and independence and things like that. So it's a, it's, it's been a really uh, interesting time to be in an all girls middle school right after the pandemic or uh, after we try to uh, come back to school post pandemic. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, you know, as I kind of mentioned earlier, just with my proximity, I, you know, I can actually see it going up and I can tell that the SGS campus is uh, nearly complete. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, how do you anticipate the new facility will help propel the school's mission uh, going forward? And I would assume too, that uh, there may have been very, you know, specific design elements that were put into the building um, when you were thinking and planning this out, just because I know how much planning goes into everything that you guys do. Absolutely. We love the new campus in many ways. I think that our original campus, we used the heck out of it and we used it very creatively. Mm -hmm. And I think we were a starting up school that spent a lot of its founding money on financial aid, right? So we we just got the bare minimum and uh, made do and made creative, um, excellent do with what we had. In building the new campus, um, I love how the voices of various constituencies were incorporated. And the teaching and learning spaces, gosh, uh, there's a part of me that I'm no longer a full-time teacher at Seattle Girls School. I am so jealous of that science space. Um, But (laughs) what we did was, you know, teachers gave input on things like, The fact that uh, because our curriculum is not a traditional curriculum, the ability to flex seating and have groups of kids working in teams in like multiple spaces, the flexibility of space, the need for technology and collaborative spaces like whiteboards on every single wall and things like that. And so the teaching and learning spaces, I think, are much more conducive to the kind of curriculum that we do versus right now we've, you know, we've had to do things like, okay, so this team is going to meet in the hallway and this team is going to meet like, you know, out by the picnic tables and, you know, we make do, right? And then I love the fact that uh, young people's uh, voices were incorporated into it. And so one of the things that I really love about that are peppered throughout the building are these little nooks. The kids were like, you know, Sometimes our school is so joyful and exuberant, and sometimes it's just nice to be able to like find a quiet little corner and like be introverted or quiet or have like intimate and private conversations. So um, there are spaces where there are these kind of almost egg-like pods that are cut into the walls and that are carpeted and things like that. So the students were um, so excited to see those. And you, you know, as soon as we started to have campus visits, many of them crawled up in there and they're like, I can't wait to like spend my break, like, you know, reading a book or like connecting with my BFF who's not in my classroom group this term and things like that. And so I think it's going to be the kind of teaching and learning space where instead of us trying to conform into a space to do what we do really well, the space is actually conducive to what we've always been wanting to do. I think that's really in line with how a lot of companies are planning their real estate too. And mm-hmm. for example, the EBS office in Seattle, it's we are in a team suite, mm-hmm. six of us all together. And there are a bunch of those team suites to really foster collaboration and, and communication. So 
I would say it's forward thinking, but it seems like you guys are just keeping up with the times, really. <laughs> yep, absolutely. We'd be remiss uh, if we didn't ask you if, if listeners today want to get involved with Seattle Girls School, volunteer, be a mentor, how, uh, what are, are there opportunities to do so? Absolutely. I would say there are many ways to get involved. So a uh, mentor program, if you are a woman or a non-binary person uh, who wants to support a young person in the middle years and connect on that sort of one-to-one level, that is a great way to connect. It's about a once a month commitment and uh, we give you a lot of support and training and onboarding and you get a chance to meet the kids and families too. So you don't feel like you need to know everything about how to support middle school youth right off the bat. Um, There's also, we have something called Wednesday workshops where we suspend regular curriculum um, every afternoon for about six week chunks, three times a year. And Wednesday workshops are actually an exposure opportunity because middle school is a great time to like learn different things and be exposed to lots of different fields and giving them like a short term way to sort of dive in. So we have like fashion design classes, cooking classes, martial arts, circuits arts, like you name it. And so if you feel like you have a particular skill or talent or a gift that you want to actually teach like a once a week mini course in the afternoon, that's a great way to uh, connect with a small group of middle school students. Uh, We also have um, many projects where we try to connect kids to real world professionals. So for example, we have sort of like the idea think tank project that is happening in the eighth grade where kids are coming up with coding solutions to everyday problems. And we actually have uh, sort of um, uh, folks who are like VCs, right? And that could literally be your job or you can be an entrepreneur or somebody who you know, is great at marketing or whatever the case may be. And so when they do their pitch, they're not pitching to their teachers and parents. And again, we're pretty cool, but we ain't that cool, according to them. (laughs) That's a great way to be involved. Uh, With the sixth grade science curriculum, we actually connect the kids to email experts. And so if you're studying, you know, Alzheimer's, a lot of the research around uh, diseases are not written in middle school-friendly language. So we try to connect them with email experts who can help them understand some of the more complex nuances of the topics that they're studying in. And so that can even be like an asynchronous way that you can support a young person. And I also think about this idea of, um, you know, being a financial supporter as well, because again, our commitment to financial aid is strong. And for me, um, you know, we we are not the the showboaty kind of school um, and any and all of our disposable income uh, goes into making sure that every single student who this education would make a difference for who are who live that mission can have access to the school. Um, and so if you would like to be part of making it possible for a student to be a, uh, to access education, um, financial supporters are always welcome as well. Well, it sounds like uh, a lot of different ways to get involved. And um, sure, we'll probably have a few listeners that take you up on that offer. Mm-hmm. Rosetta, you've been so generous with your time, and we appreciate you being here and being on the other end of our 20 questions. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, we look Rosetta. forward to having you again in the, the near future. Thank you very much. Have a great day, everybody. Hey, Jack, that was a fantastic discussion with Rosetta today. What was your takeaway? 
Yeah, Mike, uh, I really enjoyed the conversation, just how she explained everything. Uh, I would say like in her response to my first question that I asked her about uh, what the compelling reason is to have a classroom uh, without boys. For me, just learning about you know thirty percent drop in confidence in middle school for girls and the pressures and vulnerabilities that can kind of come along with you know seeking attention of boys uh, and how that can potentially become a distraction. I know um, uh, I went to a co-ed uh, middle school myself and could definitely relate and made a lot of things kind of make sense to me after uh, she mentioned all that. So uh, you know, but the fact that it folks they focus on creating an environment that's centered around finding yourself and really empowering women and that being kind of a key aspect of that was uh, really kind of eye-opening for me. What about you? Yeah, and to uh, the point about she made about the, the new school and the real estate and the, the overall design of that to foster collaboration and communication. As I mentioned, you know, the UBS office and a lot of other uh, big co- employers are starting to move into that shared workspace area. So I think SGS is right on the money when they're designing their new school with that same kind of concept because that'll be very recognizable and familiar for those schools, uh, girls as they progress through school and, and ultimately into the workplace. So we thank you for listening to this episode of Green Shoots. Please take a minute to check out our other episodes featuring nonprofits and thought leaders in our community on Spotify. We also appreciate your questions, feedback, or comments. You can email us at thearborgroup at ubs.com, all one word, thearborgroup at ubs.com. We'll see you next time.